Well, praise ye the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are holy. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome God you are. And we thank you. Amen. We'll be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. And uh, it's always our pleasure to give all thanksgiving and glory in God and glory and honor unto the Lord. You know, that donkey would have, that carried Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday would have been sadly deceived if he had thought that all that applause and commotion was for him. <laughs> and so we honor the Lord Jesus Christ every time uh, we have an opportunity to come into this place and give thanksgiving together with you and praise and honor unto his name. And we honor the Lord for your presence and supporting these gatherings as we've been working through our theme on working with others uh, during this time. And we believe uh, that as we come into the last days, all we're going to have is one another. And so if we're going to make the journey, we ought to enjoy the trip and what a joy it is to work together with one another. Once again, I would like to draw your attention to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at chapter 4. And I would like to begin tonight at verse number 12 and read verses 12 through uh, 14 uh, tonight and uh, pick up three other uh, personalities and characters that Paul had a chance to work with. Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 through 14 and we're going to pick up three others that Paul has worked with. We've looked at Tacitus, that Paul worked uh, with a man with a servant's heart. And we talked a lot Sunday morning about what it is just to be a servant in the house of God. Sunday night, we looked at Onesimus, the man with a sinful past. And uh, we talked about how God can even use those who have a sinful past. Uh, last night, we looked at Aristarchus, a man with a sympathetic heart. And then Mark, a man with a surprising future. And then we ended with uh, Jesus, also called Justice, a silent service. And we just want to thank all of you that helped us roll the tables out <laughs> and roll the tables in. Okay, good. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. So let's look at uh, verse number 12. And uh, could we first hold our Bibles up and just make this declaration of faith and um, uh, we'll all walk in the same spirit of faith. Say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I will make my life better. Let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God. Let's look in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. Now remember, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and he has heard that a uh, church has risen up in this area and they have been uh, influenced by people that were from the Jewish traditions and also from Greek philosophy. And uh, Paul writes two chapters to proclaim the supremacy of Christ and Christ alone. That we don't need Christ and other worldviews, but we need Christ and Christ alone. And then in chapter three and four, he Talks about since we know who we are in Christ, how should we then live? And then at the end of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, he gives a snapshot of people that he worked with, and we're talking about working with others. Let's pick up three others that Paul worked with, verse 12, 4, 12 Colossians. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete 
in all the will of God. I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Herophilus. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Amen. When we look at this man, Epaphras, most scholars agree that Epaphras is the one who comes to Paul and lets him know of the condition of the church that is in Colossae. Many believe that Epaphras may be the leader of this church. And he is the one that comes to Paul while he's in prison and reports to Paul both the fact that the church has risen up and the condition of this church. Thus, the scripture says that Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you also. And Epaphras is there reporting to Paul about the Jewish tradition that is starting to sway people away. Epaphras is a man that I call a man with a single passion. And my question to us tonight is, can we work with people that are single-minded and has a single passion? As noted in the introduction, Epaphras was the founder of this church in Colossae and most likely he was current pastor. And the Bible says, like most shepherds, that he was laboring earnestly for them in his prayer. This word laboring earnestly is the word agonizoma, uh, which is an English word from which, which is a Greek word from which we get the word to agonize. He was agonizing for this church in prayer. You see, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And nothing in our kingdom really happens until first someone agonizes in prayer. Until we talk to God about people, we have no business talking to people about God. Prayer precedes ministry. Priestly ministry always precedes prophetic ministry. And priestly ministry is our ministry in prayer, our ministry in thanksgiving, our ministry in praise, our ministry in worship, our ministry in giving our adoration to God for who he is, our admiration to God for what he does, our exaltation to God as we lift him and elevate him as the one and only and true and living God our celebration to God because we know that he is worthy of all praise and when we celebrate him, we enter into his victory and we don't wait until we see the victory. We praise him and we celebrate him because we know the victory is already won and we're entering into the victory that he has won. Through our adoration, our admiration, our exaltation and our celebration, we begin to do magnification to him. We see him bigger than anything that there is. And friends, when you and I labor earnestly to him in prayer, it produces an agony. The word agony really means to be stressed. It means to be distressed. It means to be, if you will, in a pain as we agonize and as we labor. And in the Old Testament, the word travail is used. And it's like we are giving birth to something. It seems like in our kingdom, because we are spiritual beings, that some things just don't happen until we birth it in prayer. And once we birth it in prayer, then we see it birthed in the natural. Prayer precedes every accomplishment in the earth. So it's a pain. Paul to the church at Galatia, he says, I'm agonizing again with you in prayer, laboring again as in birth in prayer till Christ be formed in you. And friends, it's one thing to see people come to the Lord, but it's another thing to stay with people in prayer until Christ is formed inside of them. And it takes prayer, it takes discipleship, it takes consistency. We have to pray to get them in, but then we have to pray to keep them in. And we don't stop praying just because people come to an altar call. An altar call is an event, but the Christian life is a process. 
And there needs to be continual prayer that Christ be formed in them. And how long does a prayer take place? Until Christ is formed and they can lead someone else to Christ and do the same thing for them, the one that they lead to Christ that we do for them in our prayer. He said this man was a single passion. He was a man that gave himself to prayer. I have some people in our church that their whole expression of service to our church is that they are people of prayer. They pray when I'm preaching. They pray before events. They pray after events. They pray for the people in the church. They pray for the places that we're going. They're people that know that prayer and communion with God is their assignment. And Epaphras is one of those people. As a minister, when we start laboring in the word, sometimes we could substitute our studying God's word for prayer. But I found out that I have to pray all the time. I have to pray before I even sit down to prepare a sermon. I have to say, God, what do you want me to say? Because when Jesus ordained the first men that he called to walk with him, the Bible says he ordained them to be with him. And how can I tell the people of God what God is saying if I have not been with him? Our first level of ordination is never to heal or never to preach or never to cast out devils. But our first level of ordination is always to be with him. Because if I'm not with him, I don't have anything to say with the people. If I have not heard from God in prayer, then all I can do is really be an echo, not a voice. I'll have to listen to TBN and Christian radio and read everybody else's book and tell everybody what the people say everybody else is saying. Oh, but when I've been with him, I don't have to be an echo. I can be a voice because I've heard from the master and I can bring people what the master has said. And Epaphras was a man of single passion. You see this word agonize is used of the Lord in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 44. For in the night before as that Jesus is getting ready to move into his passion. In Luke 22 and verse 44, Jesus calls some of his disciples to a prayer meeting. And it says in verse number 44 of Luke 22, it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples and he found them sleeping from a, from a sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. I've discovered that if you and I maintain a vibrant and an active prayer life, some temptations we will see coming afar off. And we will be strengthened by might by his spirit to withstand in the day of temptation. You just can't do ministry. It has to be out of a communion, a prayer with the Lord. I've discovered when I'm in my study at home, I have to pray before I prepare a sermon. All during the sermon, I have to pray. I remember one time I was in my study preparing a sermon and I was praying and the Holy Spirit started speaking and I was at my computer writing down notes and writing down copious notes on the piece of paper that I have by my computer and it got so loud, I started saying, glory to God, that's good. My wife said, Lafayette, are you talking on the phone? I said, no, just me and Jesus in here. I kept on writing and the Holy Spirit revealed something else and then ran it up on a computer and pulled a book off the shelf. If I said, hallelujah, that's good. I had to stand up and begin to fan my own seat, you know? Sat back down, started talking and, and writing down and putting together my notes. And it got so good, I had to get up, walk around my own desk and say, God, you're just so good. She said, who are you talking to? I said, just me and the Holy Ghost. I had to take out my own fan and fan my own seat. I had to leave myself in all love offering on the desk. It was just great, man, because me and the Holy Ghost in there in prayer preparing. The Holy Spirit, when we take time, to commune with the Lord and with him in prayer, he will begin to reveal things. And Jesus says, pray lest you enter into temptation. See, either we pray or we will become prey. Either we P-R-A-Y, pray, 
or we will become prey, P-R-E-Y. We pray lest we enter into temptation. Prayer is one of the ways that satanic assault is offset from our life. One day Peter was sitting around telling the Lord, he said, Lord, I'll go anywhere with you. I'm willing to even go and die for you. And Jesus in Luke 22, verse 31, 22, 31, same chapter, previous verse, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan had asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Look at Jesus' antidote though. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. Sometimes, friends, we even make confessions that are way beyond our capacity. And when we make those, you better hope somebody's praying for us. Sometimes people say, I want to fast, pastor, the next 40 days. I said, why don't you try three days? Because I said, I found out for people that never have fasted before about that third day, food starts talking to you. Potato chips start calling you. The sandwich starts calling you. Isn't it interesting when you're fasting, all the commercials on television are food commercials. And it's kind of interesting. I tell people, why don't you make little commitments? But sometimes we make commitments way beyond our experience. And aren't you glad that we have an intercessor in heaven? that ever lives to make intercession for us. He helps our infirmities, the Holy Ghost says, uh, in Romans chapter eight, with groanings that cannot be uttered. And here this man, Epaphras, was a man that was given to prayer. I found out I had to pray before preparation. I have to pray during preparation. Even before we preach, we pray and worship. After we preach, we need to pray. Because see, when we get finished being used by God, a lot of people pat us on the back. A lot of people shake our hands and say, you bless me. And I found out we don't have that capacity to bless anybody. If it had not been for the Holy Ghost who has shown up, if it had not been for the Holy Spirit that has spoke to us, if it had not been for the Holy Ghost that brought all these thoughts together, if it had not been for the Holy Ghost that caused us to speak the right word to the people that were in the sanctuary, nothing would have happened. So at the end of any ministry, when God has used us, whether it's on an instrument or with our voice or with our preaching ability or with our service, we hold a whole lot of pats on the back, a whole lot of handshakes and a whole lot of compliments that don't even belong to us. And we need to learn, and I've learned, to find, a, to find an altar somewhere. It may be by the side of a couch or a chair in a hotel room at my house that's in my basement or in my bedroom where I can bow my knee and say, God, I've had a good day and you've blessed the people through this vessel, but I'm holding a whole lot of stuff that doesn't belong to me. And I want to offer up to you the evening sacrifice. I want to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the wisdom, because if anybody got saved, it was because of you. If anybody got blessed, it was because of you. If any life was transformed, it was because of you. And here we meet this man, Epaphras, a man with a single passion. And his passion was to earnestly labor and fervently labor with them and for them in prayer. I like this man, Epaphras, because he prayed that the church at Colossae would stand perfect. He prayed for their maturity. And part of what I desire is that a church would not just be a church that is full of zeal, but full of people that are maturing. Church that is fully assured that they are in the will of God, doing all in the will of God, and that they have reached and are reaching for perfection. That is not that they're just flawless, but more complete and mature and that they would reach a place of being fully developed. Fully developed. And you see, it's in prayer that we begin to push people through and to full development. You see, you're, one, you're, you're young once, but you can be childish for a lifetime. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. I even thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I do men's event, women, you don't have to listen to this. I tell men, I say, women don't mind raising kids. They just don't want to raise a husband. (laughs) 
And when a man acts like a child, he forces his wife to act like his mother. And mothers do two things for their kids. They correct them and tell them what to do. <laughs> and so someone has to labor with us in prayer that we not become chronologically old and yet act childish, but that we mature and become complete and fully developed. That was Epaphras' prayer for this church. And he was a man with a single passion. Lord, bring them to completeness. Bring the church to full maturity. Bring us to full development so that when you come, we can be the church that you have called us to be. We ought to thank God for those churchmen and church women that get in a closet somewhere and their whole desire is to pray that the will of God is done in every gathering, every service, every event that happens as a church because there are those who actually do the work but you never will understand until you get to heaven those that were undergirding every one of these efforts with the effort of prayer. For those of you who are prayer warriors, don't you get weary in well-doing because you see, prayer is one of the weapons of our warfare. You see, the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but they are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. What are some of the weapons that we use in prayer? Well, weapons, if you write that word down, you have W, which is the word of God, and we pray the word. We pray the word. We pray back to God what God has said and say, God, this is what you said your church would be. And you said you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And God, I come into agreement with you in prayer that the gates of hell will not stand against Faith Christian Center. Our weapons are E. Listen, our, our, our weapons are effective prayer. That the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous man avails much. And prayer, effective prayer, that is fervent prayer, is one of those things that is one of our weapons. A, the whole armor of God is one of your weapons that we have on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. That we also take up the shield of faith. Our loins are girded about with truth. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, the weapons of our prayers, P, that's your praises towards God. Because Psalm 149 says, let the high praise of God be in your mouth, a two-edged sword in your hand. They execute vengeance upon the people, punishment upon their, upon the nations. And it says to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with feathers of iron. Listen, when you praise God, you tie up the enemy, silence his voice. Our weapons are all the offerings of God. You say, how are our offerings a weapon? Well, the Bible says in Malachi, when you tithe, it says God declares war on the enemy. It says when you tithe, you don't even have to pick a fight with the, with the devil. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. It's one of your weapons of warfare. You don't even have to fight when you're a tither. God puts you behind him and says, where's the devil at? I'll rebuke the devil and say, back off. This is one of mine. Your offering is one of your weapons. The name of God, which is the name of Jesus, that's one of your weapons. The name of Jesus, that's him. And we have given a name that's higher than any name. For the name of Jesus says we can cast out devils, says Mark. In the name of Jesus, we speak with new tongues. It's in the name of Jesus, if we take up any deadly thing, it shall not hurt us. In the name of Jesus, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What are our weapons? Our weapons, yes, is the spirit of God. And we pray with all kind of prayers and supplication in the Lord. And it's a spirit of God. So our weapons are W, the word of God. E, effective prayer. A, the armor of God. P, the praises of God. In the offerings, O, the offerings of God. In the name of God. And S, the spirit of God. And man, when you wore a good warfare and prayer with the weapons of God that are not carnal, but are mighty through God, we pull down strongholds. We cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Man, ask your neighbor, do you have your weapons in place? Oh yeah, you need to keep your weapons in place. You need to stay locked and loaded and fully armed. Don't run out of ammunition in a fight. 
they were having all these home invasions in Ohio a few years ago, and the women in my, in my house were, since I traveled some, were saying, man, all these home invasions going on, uh, we need to get some protection in the house. So we went and took gun safety classes. And in our, in our state, they have what they call concealed carry permits, where you can carry a weapon around if you go to this gun safety. So we took off our concealed carry classes. It was funny, because uh, when it came time, uh, the last portion of the class, you have to you know, uh, uh, qualify on the target. My wife was up there doing her qualifying round, shooting at the target. And I mean, she was, she was killing this target. I mean, she, oh, bam, center mass. This man looked over at me. He said, are, 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 is that your wife? I said, yeah. He said, you better walk the straight and narrow. <laughs> and I remember when it came time to go, that we started talking about what weapons we were going to buy. And my daughter was very good with a semi-automatic. She wanted a 9mm Smith & Wesson. I wanted a Glock Smith & Smith Wesson. Teresa was better with a, with a revolver. And so, so, so she asked, uh, she asked uh, Yolanda, she said, well, what are you getting? She said, I'm getting a 9mm. It holds, you know, 12 rounds. She said, what are you getting? I'm getting a Glock. It's, it's 12 rounds. And she said, well, how many rounds does my have? And I said, it has about six. She said, oh, no, I'm getting me a semi-automatic too. Because she said, I ain't running out of no weapon, out of no bullets and no gunfight. Some of us as Christians need to be like that. Because some of us don't need no revolver with the devils that are coming against us now. You don't need to be running out of no ammunition and no gunfight. And friends, you need to make sure that the weapons of your warfare are loaded. And you need to stay locked and loaded. In fact, the devil ought to have you up in his post office. Your picture ought to be up on the wall when they have demonic strategy meetings in the morning. Y'all to say, this one's on our top 10 list. If spotted, call for backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Approach with extreme caution. Because this one's been known to be armed and dangerous. Every morning you get up, the devil ought to say, oh, God, they got up this morning. I like to sucker punch him every now and then in the morning. I just like to wake up in the morning and say, devil, I bind you in Jesus' name. And you get out of here. And I'm sure demons say, what did we do? And I say, just take that. <laughs> just because, just because. Friends, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. Through the pulling down of strongholds, we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we war the warfare in prayer. We war the warfare in prayer. When you travel throughout the nations, you will find where people are changing nations through prayer. Amen. That's prayer. That is one of the foundations. And here we meet this man, Epaphras. And it says about him, he is one of you. He's a bondservant of Christ. And he's always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. And I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those that are not only there, but also in Laodicea and Herophilus. And these are the triad of cities that were there that I talked about Sunday night. Then in the Lycus Valley, there were these three cities, Colossae, Laodicea and Herophilus and all of those were commerce cities and this is where Paul is sending Epaphras with this wonderful letter. He then picks up another companion and where Epaphras is a man with a single passion we now meet this man called Luke and Luke is a man with specialized skill. He is called Luke the physician. Now I like Luke because Luke is a man that was a traveling companion with Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, could you turn there for a minute? 2 Timothy 4. Luke is mentioned when Paul writes his very last letter to his uh, companion in ministry and the man that he mentored, Timothy. And in Luke chapter 4, and in uh, verse second, or I'm sorry, second Timothy four, second Timothy four and verse number 11, 411 Luke. It says only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. 
Get Mark and bring him to me, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Luke was a man that we know out of Colossians was a physician. He's a doctor. He had specialized skill. In fact, Luke was Paul's personal physician as well as his close friend. He was a companion with Paul. Luke is one of the first prototypes of a medical missionary. He was a professional and he left a lucrative medical profession to devote his specialized skill to Paul and others on missionary journeys. There are a lot of people that think my specialized skill is here, but my spirituality is here. But Luke is one of those who learned to blend the two and understood I've been anointed for medicine as well as to be a companion with Paul. And friends, I think this is an important conversation for us to have now because the new missionary model is not to send evangelists, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers and nations because a lot of nations are closed, especially those that are, that are strategically and the majority of the people in those nations are Hindu, Buddhist, and also Muslims. In fact, in certain Muslims' republics, if you are an ordained minister, they will not even let you into those countries. But what they do receive is teachers engineers, nurses, doctors, dentists, people with specialized skill, they're opening up. We have a lot of people in our church who have served in China with the English as a second language institute. And when they serve with this group, they go in because the Chinese are very interested in learning English because English is one of your commerce and business languages globally. And the people go in and through teaching English as a second language, you're able to connect with people in China. But the secondary effort is critical because through friendship evangelism, now we're able one-on-one -on -one to begin to tell the story. Many times humanitarian work, medical missions, dentistry, engineering, feeding the poor, clothing people, digging wells, Humanitarian work are open doors for us to preach the gospel. And this man, Luke, a man with specialized skill, did not see this great gulf between the secular and the sacred. You see, Christ did not come to give you a secular life and a sacred life. He came, John 10, that you might have life. And you see before the uh, great awakening is kind of interesting. There was no great divide between the secular and the sacred. Everybody talked about life as a whole. But one of the things that came out of the great awakening was this whole conversation between your public life and your private life and your spiritual life and your secular life. But before that, it was just life. Everything that I had and everything that I've been given and everything that I do belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm a business person, I dedicate my specialized skill to the Lord to help people in the kingdom and outside of the kingdom by the principles of the gospel to advance in business and in the financial area of their life. Man, if I'm a family therapist, I take everything that I am and everything that I do and all my specialized skill and I bring them to the cross and I say, God, I don't have to drop out of being a teacher. I ask you to anoint my teaching now to use it for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. If you are a scholar, if you, have great, if you have great intellectual and academic capacity, it doesn't mean that you throw all of that away when you become a Christian. We, everybody in the kingdom doesn't have to be dumb. We need some people with academic ability and capacity that is now anointed. In fact, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole used to say, wisdom is nothing but anointed common sense. And what God wants to do is he wants to take all that we have within us. He wants to use it for his glory. And here this man, Luke, he is a personal physician of Paul. Did Paul need one? Yes. Because Paul was in shipwrecks. Paul was a man that was beaten. Paul was a man that was stoned. Paul was a man that was taken up one time when they thought he was dead. Paul was a man that was thrown over a wall one time for dead. Paul spent a night and a day in the deep. Paul was a man that went through all kind of physical trauma, but Luke was right there. 
Luke was a man that was not only the prototype of a medical missionary, but he surrendered his specialized talents to God, gave up his lucrative practice, but God blessed him. You see, in our kingdom, you don't give up anything, but that God doesn't bless you. Because he gave up all of those things. Look at what God does for Luke. God uses this medical doctor. He's not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. This medical doctor writes one of the four gospels in our New Testament. You say, really? Yeah, Luke was one of those. Another interesting one was a man we talked about last night, Mark. You say, well, Mark wasn't, a, wasn't an original. No, church history tells us, church historian tells us that the gospel of Mark, though it's not our first gospel in our New Testament, was the first one written. And church historians say that Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote very carefully everything Peter taught him. And he penned a gospel called the Gospel of Mark. Then we have Luke, who not only pins the Gospel of Luke to his friend Theophilus, but then he follows the work of the Holy Ghost from the time of the ascension of Jesus Christ all the way to the time of Paul's imprisonment. And he writes another second great work in our New Testament called the book of Acts. You don't give up anything for the kingdom of God, but that God does not take your specialized skill and then add to it his ability. He returned his gift to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit used him to write some sizable portions of the New Testament. We need people with specialized skill. And today in this computer world, we need people with those gifts to come. Today in this world that is highly visible, people with graphic art skills, we need you in the kingdom of God. Some people have culinary skills and they know how to cook. And, you know, when we go various places in the world, we need those skills. We need some of those at home also. Some people have skills to write. We need those skills. Some people have skills to edit because some of us, we know what we're trying to say. <laughs> but give it to an editor and they can say it's so much better. Sometimes I give my notes for the weekend. Every weekend I do half sheet notes for our church that we use in our small groups for discipleship. And uh, sometime uh, my office staff said, we changed your notes around a little bit here. Come in here and read this and see if this was what you were trying to say. And when I reviewed the notes, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what the Holy Ghost was saying, all right. I said, you said it so much better. We need those kind of specialized skills. And here in this chapter, we meet Epaphras, a man with single passion. But then we meet a person with specialized skill. One of my heroes in our church is a sister named Karen Coleman. She leads our world outreach department. Karen went two years to Rama Bible Training Center under Kenneth Hagan. When she was there, she went on a short-term missionary trip to the Navajo Nation, opened up a door, and she really felt that this was not a short-term assignment, but was going to be a longer-term assignment. It spent about three to four years out in the Navajo a Nation, ministering to Navajo. When she got there, we were supporting her as a church, and she says, you know, I believe this is a long-term assignment, and she said, and, uh, she said, they have a medical clinic out there. She's a registered nurse. You know what? There's a time when she wrote back and said, the medical, I mean, the missions money that you guys are sending me for support, I now can use it for exclusively for ministry because the medical center on the reservation is paying me a salary. And she said, and I'm a medical person by day and a minister by evening and on the weekend and all that money that you've designated now goes exclusively to ministry because here was a person with specialized skills. What is it that God has given you as a specialized skill? What is it that you're doing outside of the walls of the church that could benefit the church? What is it that you thought, oh, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I cannot sing, I cannot play an instrument. I don't feel like ushering, I'm not technologically astute. But God has invested something in you. What would happen 
if we got a talent bank and a gift bank and a skills bank at the church and we found all of the specialized skill that was in the church, there's no telling what might happen and maybe we might experience what was in Acts chapter 2 where they said, and there was no need among any of them because everyone had all things in common. Some might have the ability to paint, somebody else to build, somebody else to fix or repair. And friends, when we bring our specialized gifts to the cross, one of my men at our church who recently passed away and went home to the Lord, Ivan, great car mechanic, great one, not like the one I talked about the other day. And we went to Christian Haitian Outreach in Haiti. And I said, Ivan, why are you going on this trip? He said, I don't know. I just think I could help. When he got to the mission field, he found out that Mom Workman had four vehicles that had been given to her. People, you know, who, you know, wear a car or four by four out and then give it to a missionary. <laughs> and she had four, but by the time they got there, they had about a year's life left. And Ivan went there, and on the three weeks that the mission team was in Haiti, he took four vehicles, interchanged parts, and built one good one, and that vehicle still running today, a man with specialized skill. Don't ever minimize what God has put inside of you. Don't ever think that you can't be used for the kingdom because all I know how to do is put nuts and bolts together. Listen, my family doesn't like me to use tools. It's not my gift. One of, our, one of our pastor teams, Billy and Deanne Johnson, they live in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember one time going, the first time I went to their house and I was sitting on their love seat reviewing some notes and I leaned up against this table and this light came on. And uh, I said, hmm. And I leaned off the table, light went off. So I went back and checked the plug. It was plugged in all right. And uh, I started looking through drawers. I said, this light's got a short in it. And I started looking around in drawers trying to find a computer. I mean, a, a screwdriver, a computer. See, I don't know nothing about tools. A screwdriver. <laughs> a screwdriver to get some tools. And they said, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for a screwdriver. I said, uh, that lamp over there has a short in it. They said, what do you mean? I said, every time I lean on the table, it comes on and then it goes off. They said, apostle, that's a touch lamp. They said, it doesn't need to be fixed. When you touch it, it comes on. When you touch it, it goes off. They said, you stay away from tools in this house. <laughs> I don't have those specialized skills. But you know, some people do. And friends, don't ever minimize when God even gives you natural skills that it can be used to advance the kingdom of God. So here we meet this man named Luke, who is a man with specialized talents and skills. Let's look at our last one, Demas. In verse number 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. I call Demas a man with a sad future. You say, why do you call him a man with a sad future? Could you look back one more time for our last example tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Because we meet this man with, this man with, uh, with, a, uh, uh, with, with a single passion. We meet this man with specialized skill. But I call Demas a man with a sad future. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10, Paul tells Timothy in verse number 9, 4 9 of 2 Timothy says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Notice the statement in verse number 10. By the time Paul writes his last letter, he says, Demas has forsaken me. And loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. Christian for Galatia, Titus for Demalta, Demas has forsaken me. I call him a man with a sad future. Would you look at me in Matthew chapter 13 as we wrap up this statement on Demas? Because I want to let you know why does Demas have a sad future? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking this tremendous parable called the parable of the sowers. And one of the kinds of soil 
that Jesus describes in Matthew 13 is called a soil with thorns in it. And in Matthew 13, 22, are you there? It says, and he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Friends, sometimes people forsake us who start with us because of the pull of this world. I've seen people in our church and in my journey who started off running a good race, but then the pull of the things of this world. He calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Because see, the way that riches deceive us is riches begin to say, love money, use God, rather than love God and use money. Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil, that there's an economic bottom line to all evil in the world. And friends, the pull of the things of this world. You see, Demas, that the world system became so irresistible to Demas that he said, I can't take this anymore. Paul, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the ministry and I'm going to pursue my own fame, my own fortune, my own way. And he abandoned Paul and the ministry. Hear me. Jesus had his Judas. Paul had his Demas. Let me close by talking about abandonment. Not everyone that starts finishes strong. And there will be some that will abandon the faith. It's the pull of other things. Sometimes it's the pull of someone that's not in Christ. Just got to have that girl. And before you know it, moves into his life and pulls him out of the church. Sometimes it's the pull of a man. Moves into her life, pulls her out the church. Sometimes it's not the pull of people. but Sometimes it's the pull of things. Things start looking so attractive. And people say, I just got to have that new car. Well, your current car is all right. Yeah, but if I get that new one, I'll be shocked. Just got to have that new car. But you can't afford that new car. Well, I can pick up a part-time job. And all of a sudden, someone that God had been providing all their needs start working seven days a week. And you see, one of the fourth, the fourth command is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God said, I've given you six days to do all your work, but there ought to be a day that you set aside and hollow and make it my day. It says there in the fourth commandment of Exodus 20, God made the whole world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. It's not that he rested because he was tired for he never runs out of energy. He never runs out of strength. He never has strength depleted. He rested to give us an example. Now, if he made everything in six days, what you so busy doing in seven days? It takes great faith to do everything that you can do in six days and then stop. I'm going to say it again because I ain't getting no amens. It takes great faith to believe that you can get it all done in six days and then stop. And the fourth command is permission to stop. Would you look at your neighbor and say, just stop. You deserve a break today. And the fourth command, the Sabbath principle, is to enter into his rest and believe that if by faith you work and labor and use your creativity, your productivity in your industry six days, then you can take a day and say, God, this is for you, this is for me, and we're going to worship you. We're going to meditate today on what you've done. We're going to stop and we're going to rest. And we're not going to get in the rat race. I used to be on that treadmill. Then I discovered I'm not a rat. 
And I decided to check out of the world system, the seven-day system, wearing myself out. And I determined to do the fourth command in principle, the Sabbath commence principle, and just stop. Friends, I found out I'm not as irritable. Because you know when you get tired, you start getting low tolerance. A lot of people in the church are not mean-spirited. They just tired. They ain't tired. They're tired. And when folks get tired, they get irritable. Irritable. They're not really mean people. They are just tired. And friends, when people get tired, they get short. They make rapid judgments. I remember when I come home from work and my wife would have me watching the kids and she would step out. And I would sit down and as soon as my body relaxed, I start nodding off and kids say, can we go outside and play? And I say, no, your mom says stay in the house. <laughs> can we go out and play? And I said, no, your mom says stay in the house. Can we go out and play? And I said, no, you can't go out and play. Mom says stay in the house. You know, if you get real tired, you'll say, leave me alone. Go play in the traffic if you want to. Just leave me alone. That's when you know you're tired. Just get irritable. Short. Short-tempered. Because we have not obeyed the fourth principle and stop. And Demas got kind of caught up in the world system. And friends, when you buy into that, there's no stopping in the world system. Just got to go cut that deal on Sunday afternoon. Just got to work all day on Saturday. Got to work all during the course of the week. And before we know it, we wear ourselves out. Hebrews chapter 4 said they could not enter into his rest because they did not wix the word with faith. And it takes great faith to believe you can get it all done in six days and just stop and not love this world more and leave what God has told you to do. You need a day to rest. A day just to sleep in. Many of us have to get out of performance orientation where we were taught, if you're sitting around, you're just lazy. I had to break that lie off my mind because we used to be taught, man, if you're not doing something, you're just lazy, you're just slothful. So I always just found that I had to be doing something all the time. I was always doing something. <laughs> I had to be doing something. If I sat down and watched TV, I'd be straightening up the magazines on the table. <laughs> just had to be doing something. Somebody's getting delivered even now. <laughs> and it takes great faith to stop. The Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And many times as a senior leader, I could see it coming. And the pull of the world causes people to go back. When Naomi determined to go to Bethlehem, Judah, Two daughter-in-laws came with her, and Pastor Ray, you can come now. One's name was Orpha, one's name was Ruth. Both of them said, we're going to go with you. We'll never leave you. Don't bid us from following you in the book of Ruth. When they got so far, the Bible says, Orpha kissed her and turned back. But it said, but Ruth cleaved to her. You know, in your life, you'll have two kind of people, kissers and cleavers. You will have people that no matter how tough it is, they'll cleave to you and they say, whether you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Those are cleavers. But then the first sign of pressure, there's always some people that are called kissers. They'll say they're going all the way with you, but the first sign of trouble, they'll just kiss you goodbye. <laughs> Has anybody ever been kissed goodbye? Okay, we got some honest folk in here tonight. That's not only true in relationships, it's also true in the church. I've had some people come into the church and they said, man, Rhema Christian Center is the best thing since sliced bread. Ooh, Rhema Christian Center is like no other place on the earth. You're my apostle. I'm gonna be here with, to, with you to the end. They say all kind of stuff. All them other people leaving, but you can trust me. 
How many of you know trust is earned? You can count on me, but then the pull comes because all commitment is tested. And friends, here's the word I want to minister tonight. All abandonment hurts. And let me tell you what abandonment does. Once it gets you to the place where you kind of keep people at an arm's length distance. You know, when we, when, we, when, we, when we get damaged and injured by abandonment, we never want to trust to give anybody any responsibility anymore. They'll say, well, you know, I don't know if they're going to really do it, so I just do it all myself. And before you know it, you're wearing 20 different hats. And you can't keep up with all of that. Out of the insecurity of abandonment and the pain of abandonment, we just try to keep everything gathered together under us. I watched a juggler one time and he had two plates going and he was just kind of spinning these plates up here on these little sticks. Then he added a third one and he kept spinning it. Then when he added a fourth one, I started seeing a little bit more work done. And when he got finished, I had a chance to talk with this fellow. And I said, what's your maximum? He said, I've done six, but it's real, real, real hard. He said, other people do seven. He said, and that's real hard because you got to keep each one attention all the time. He said, three is pretty easy. He said, but when you add that fourth one, man, he said, it gets tougher. And the more you add, the more it's tough. And some of us are just so fidgety all the time. <laughs> got too many hats, too many plates, too many things we're trying to do. And the reason we're doing all of that, we just gathered all ourselves is because we gave a responsibility to somebody and then they left us hanging. They abandoned. So we start saying, hmm, not going to trust anybody anymore. And now you're being worn out because you can't keep up with all of it. My prayer that the Holy Spirit would do would help us because you know what? Even though Demas left, he said, Luke is here. Timothy, you're coming. And Demas is a man with a sad future because I don't know if he ever got back. I think that every time that Paul thought about Demas, he prayed for him and said, God, bring him back to his call. God, bring him back to his original purpose. And some of you know some people that abandoned their watch at Faith Christian Center, and those are the ones I want to pray for in this moment. You know that they left before their time they left because they got distracted. And some of you are pastors and some of you know folks that left the ministry. And I'm not talking about as a senior leader. I'm talking about as a ministry servant, as a ministry worker because of maybe an offense or because of maybe the pull of this or the pull of that. And now they're out there and they're miserable. And sometimes when you see them, they try to duck you and avoid you. I walk up on people all the time and I say, hey, how you doing? And they just kind of stand there. And you know that you caught somebody by surprise when they're black and they turn red. <laughs> they don't kind of know what to say and I say how you doing Lord bless you and then I say where are you worshiping now and they kind of drop their head and I say come see us again and I look them in the eye and I say we need you just remember those words we need you and I find out it opens up a door for people to come back and to reconnect. And what would happen if we found people that have that sad future, but we never stop praying and we invite them back? Those are the ones I want you to think about right now as we pray. Let's pray. Father, right now we've looked at a man with a single passion. We looked at a man with specialized skills and talents. And we looked at this man, Father, with this sad future because he abandoned and he left and he turned back loving this world. And Father, we know that in ministry there are joys and sorrows. There are cheers and there are tears. There are chills and there are thrills when we work together. And Father, I want to pray for those that may call, be called demons that left because they love this world more than the ministry. And Father, some left because of offense. Some left because of distraction. Some left because there were thorns still in the soil and it was not perfectly uh, purged out. And Father, I want you to know that there is a, re a pool from this world that says work more, do more, accomplish more, but it takes great faith to get it all done in six days and then to trust you, Father, that we can have a day of rest and that you will make the difference. 
And Father, there are people that are here because they bought into this world system that they're just tired and some are even irritable. And I pray that you would just renew their strength in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, and strengthen us today.